Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. I was watching a video where the pastor was streaming from his home, which is not an unusual thing with Corona, but he started by saying, I need to apologize to you, the church family. There's something that I've been struggling with for the past five years now, and I need to beg your forgiveness. And by this time, the congregation is thinking, oh no, what kind of heinous thing is our pastor involved in? He then walks over to his front door, and he closes it slightly, and there on the wall, behind the door, was a painting. And I'm thinking, that's an odd place for a painting, because every time you open the door, you're going to hit it. And then he proceeds to take the painting off the wall, and there is a huge hole. He said, one day I came home, and I was so angry at something that had happened, and I just threw the door open with a huge burst of power, and the doorknob made this gaping hole in the wall. And then he said, my issue was that I never took care of the root of the problem, which was my anger. I just tried to cover it up. Sound familiar? Today, I want to look at maybe one of the lesser-known events in the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And let me try to set the stage for you. God tells Samuel to anoint David as king, and he does just that in chapter 16. Now, even though David has been anointed as the next king, it's going to be a while yet before he actually takes the throne. In the next chapter, we see a very famous event. Young David defeats Goliath. The result of that victory is that David is promoted to captain of Saul's army, and he does a great job. Too great, in fact. And he comes home from a victorious battle, and the women start singing about all of David's accomplishments. And it seems that the accomplishments of Saul, who's the current king, pale in comparison to that of David. And King Saul gets so mad and so jealous that he tries to kill David. He tries to skewer him with a spear on more than one occasion. He even takes 3,000 of his best soldiers to hunt him down. This guy is serious about taking out David. So this next king of Israel is on the run from the current king of Israel. He's hiding in caves. Even though God promised to make him king, he's still afraid. And this is where the story takes a twist. In one of the caves that David was hiding in, King Saul goes into that cave to, well, to do his kingly business. He needed to use the bathroom, but since there were no bathrooms, a cave was the next best thing. Now, David had a band of misfits with him, and when they saw King Saul, they said, this is it, David. This is your moment to become king. And David snuck up behind him. He paused, and he secretly cut off a piece of King Saul's robe instead of taking revenge. Now, David successfully fought the temptation to get even with Saul, to retaliate against him for all the wrong that he had done to him. He displayed a lot of maturity in that moment. He even felt guilty for cutting off a piece of the king's robe, because God had set Saul as king, and he had no right to change that. God was going to make the change of kings 
in his own timing. David was the model of self-control, at least in chapter 24. But in chapter 25, we see the ugly side of David. True, he was described by God himself as a man after my own heart. Yet David had his downside and weak moments as well. And I mentioned that David had a band of misfits with him. If you read the first few verses of chapter 22, you'll see who those misfits were. They were people who were in distress, those who were in debt, those who were discontent and bitter. Those are the guys that rallied around him, 400 of them, and David became their leader. So David and his gang set up camp in the wilderness of Paran, which is an area where raising sheep was the main industry. Sheep farming tended to be a dangerous business in those days, especially in that area. Thieves would suddenly appear and attack the employees of the sheep farm and steal their animals. So the owners of the sheep farms would hire someone to protect their employees as well as their sheep. It's sort of like hiring a security company. Now, David was an experienced sheep herder, as well as an experienced military man. So he and his band of men worked to protect a flock of sheep, as well as the shepherds that tended the sheep. And those sheep and shepherds belonged to a man named Nabal. In verse 2 of chapter 25, we see that Nabal is described as a very rich man. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And his wife, Abigail, whom we're introduced to next, I would suspect that she would agree with the Beatles that money can't buy me love, because it certainly didn't for her. In the next verse, Nabal is described with the word churlish. Now, that's not a word you hear every day, is it? But it means to be rude in a mean-spirited and surly way. He was one harsh dude. He was arrogant, insolent. He had no regard for anyone but himself. This guy was a ruthless business owner, and profit was all he cared about. And according to the customs of the day, at the time the sheep were sheared, they would have a sheep shearing festival. I mean, we give parties for dumb reasons too. Now, please don't be offended, but selling Tupperware is not my idea of a party. Nor do I think that a sheep shearing festival would be an annual event that I would necessarily attend. But again, it was a cultural thing. It's also important to note that it was common for the owner of the animals to set aside a portion of the profit that he had made and give it to those who had protected the shepherds and the sheep. David and his men had been faithfully watching out for the flock of Nabal, and when payday arrived, David sent his men to collect his fee for protecting the flock. And this is when everything went off the rails. Nabal was a stingy man, and he refused to pay. And David got so mad that he got his men together. They armed themselves, and they started journeying to Nabal's home. David was so angry that he was just going to kill Nabal and all of his workers. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, hears through one of the workers that the rude and 
inhospitable actions of her husband has insulted David and his men. Abigail is a wise woman and decides that she needs to try to de-escalate the situation because she realizes the danger she and her whole household were in. David was a warrior and he was on a mission. And when she hears what's going on, she gathers up a bunch of food and sets out to go and meet David before he gets there. Now, what's going through David's mind? What's he thinking? I've wasted my time. I've watched over this guy's property and employees, and he's paid me back with evil when I was good to him. It's kind of like a tube of toothpaste or a tube of hair gel. Whatever's inside is going to come out when it's squeezed. And when you're squeezed and the pressure is put on you, I guarantee what's on the inside will come out. Long story short, Abigail negotiates with David and calms him down. She tells him she knows that her husband is a jerk. She calls him a fool. But what is a fool? Well, the best example I have found so far is the story that's told about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson going on a camping trip. After a good meal, they laid down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. <laughs> and Watson replied, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes asked, what does that tell you? Watson pondered for a minute, and then he said, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is omnipotent and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why? What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a minute. Then he said, Watson, you fool, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> so a fool is not necessarily someone who is stupid. He just doesn't recognize the obvious. And Abigail tells David, I want you to consider what you're about to do. Killing Nabal would be a black mark on the rest of your life. It would be a bad choice that would be a part of your future royal legacy. David listened and accepted what she had to say. And once Abigail calmed David down, he realized how blessed by God he had been to have Abigail intervene. And he tells her, because of your wisdom, you stopped me from slaughtering people today and from getting a victory by my own efforts. Now, when Abigail returned home, her husband is drunk and was having a banquet like a king. In the morning, when he had sobered up, she told Nabal what had happened. And the Bible says, his heart died within him. It became like stone. He experienced a heart attack and he died 10 days later. What was Nabal's pushback on sharing? We see that in verse 11. He says, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men about whom I know not where they come from. Now go back and read that verse for yourself. I count seven times where Nabal refers to himself. Shall I take 
my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men whom I know not? I mean, this guy is intoxicated with himself. And really, everything was already prepared. Abigail just grabbed what she had, 200 loaves of bread, some wine, five sheep that were ready to serve up and eat, and some corn and raisins. Nabal didn't have to do a thing except share. All the work was already done. He was just unwilling to give it to anybody else. But back to David. You would think that a mere insult from a total stranger would be taken in stride because he showed so much patience, so much kindness, so much grace to the man who threatened to murder him on multiple occasions. But no, the punishment he's planning here against Nabal just doesn't fit the crime. Certainly, Nabal was wrong to slight David like he did, especially since they were both from the tribe of Judah. But to just kill a man for insulting you and all of his sons and employees just because he felt cheated? And he engages in a bit of displaced aggression. But honestly, he knows better than that. And David is horribly inconsistent. And before we throw stones at David, let's face it, all of us are inconsistent. We have some ugly holes in our character. And one of those is our desire and tendency to get even. But the problem with getting even is that it makes you even with someone you don't even like. Why would you want to be even with someone that you think you're better than? Because when you get even, you're acting like the person you don't even like. You've become just like them. It doesn't make any sense. And when the dust settles, Abigail's bold actions and wise words made David realize that he was not going to become another Saul, another bad king. And in the end, God required Nabal's life from him due to his wickedness to David. God, not David, would protect David's honor. Back when both Saul and David were in the same cave, Saul was at David's mercy but David spared his life and even felt guilty for cutting off a piece of Saul's robe. The men that were with David wanted him to rid the world of this King Saul who was making all their lives miserable, but David wouldn't do it. David said that judgment was God's job and that he would leave it up to him. But in an instant, in a fit of anger, David had completely dismissed the principles he had established with his men. So watch out that we don't, in the heat of the moment, abandon the principles that we've spent so long establishing. And listen, it's easy to point our fingers at Nabal, but before you do, answer this. Have you ever been ungracious or rude to people who have done nothing but be kind to you? Have you ever responded with insults or even rumors towards someone who has treated you well? Have you ever become upset because somebody helped you when you thought you were good on your own, but you really weren't? Come on, at one time or another, we've all displayed the same nasty attitude as Nabal. Be very careful when you try to use your anger to teach someone a lesson, 
because I guarantee the lessons you teach will not be the ones you intended. You will teach your kids, your friends, and those who are watching that you are more interested in getting your way than you are in doing what's right. You will, by your actions, be telling them that you cannot control yourself, and you will teach them exactly what they never want to be, which is like you. You will drive a wedge between you and the people you are angry with, and it will be years before these people will stop looking at the wedge and start seeing you as someone who desires to follow Christ. Now, here's the encouraging part of the story. When David listens to Abigail, I think this says a lot about his character, that he was willing to change. And tucked right in the middle of this selfish and revenge-driven story is a question that Nabal asked that we should all wrestle with when it comes to our walk with God. Should I give to men who come from who knows where? He meant it as a nasty justification of his selfishness. But it's a great question. Should we share our wealth, what we have, what we own, what we've been given with people we don't even know or know very little about? And the answer is yes. This is exactly what we're supposed to do with the gospel. We are to share it with whomever, wherever, whenever, However, so ask yourself, what am I going to do with what I have? How am I going to leverage that to be a help to others instead of hoarding it for myself? And if you're like me, I don't want to live two separate lives, one that's gracious and one that's bent on unforgiveness and self-justification. I don't know about you, but I've stacked up enough regrets in my life. I don't need any more. My regret tank is full. And when we're headed down the wrong path, it's so encouraging when God sends an Abigail to speak truth into our life. And it's in those moments that we need to sit up and pay attention to those words of wisdom, words that force us to look at our attitudes and our actions and our reactions Maybe you need to ask the Lord to send you an Abigail into your life because you don't want and I don't want people to say that I have lived two lives. I just want to live one life and live it to be a blessing to others. In closing, let me speak just to the ladies for a moment. If you're needing an Abigail in your life, if you're looking for some encouragement and refreshment, let me recommend a podcast to you. It's called Her Restored Spirit. It's hosted by a friend of mine, Tammy Emley. Ladies, she has been through it. She became an Air Force widow when her kids were only two and four. And the journey through Tammy's grief and healing has uniquely gifted her to help those who are just crushed beneath the load that they're currently bearing. Because listen, if you believe social media... Every other mother's house is completely clean. They cook gourmet meals. Their children wear clothes that always match. And of course, they never throw a temper tantrum. But let's face it. What the camera doesn't show are the huge laundry piles, the dust bunnies, 
and the tears. So if you're a mom with a broken spirit and you need to find joy and purpose, please subscribe to her podcast. Once again, it's called Her Restored Spirit. Or you can check out her website, TammyMarieCoaching.com. Reach out to Tammy. You'll be glad you did. Well, thanks for joining in today. I hope it was a blessing to you. Take a screenshot, tag the podcast, share it on your Facebook or Insta page, send the link to a friend. Thanks for the positive reviews and feedback. We'll see you next time.